Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 284. I'm Douglas Wilson. I'm glad you joined us. Good to have you. So I want to talk uh, today about sort of a, a, a shakeup or a revolution in the realm of media. When I was a kid, there were three networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, and usually one local station. And there were the standard uh, newspapers. So there was big media, dinosaur media, there they were. Okay. Then in the 80s, I think it was, you had the rise of cable and networks like CNN and then MSNBC and then sort of late to the show, Fox News, which came in sort of on the right and began to dominate the uh, ratings. That was sort of the second tier. Well, as things developed, the number one show on Fox News was uh, Tucker Carlson's show. It was sort of a, and Tucker Carlson became the rock star of cable news opinionists, let us call them. And he had really strong ratings and stuff until a month or two ago, uh, he was peremptorily fired by Fox News. And there are all kinds, there's all kinds of gossip about what, what went down there, why that happened and what was going on. And was it part of Fox's settlement with Dominion, the Dominion lawsuit over the voting voting machines and so on. But that's not my point here. My point here is that just a short time ago, a week or so ago, Tucker began, he, he, when he was released from Fox, he was still under contract with Fox. And Fox's line on this is that he is not in, he's not free to go to another network. He's not free to sign on with another platform that would sponsor his show. And so what Tucker did is he launched his, uh, you can't even show it, call it a show, put quotation marks, scare quotes around show. What he did is he's got a program on Twitter. But here's the thing. He has no contract with Twitter. He's participating on Twitter the same way I do. Everybody else who uses Twitter is under the same terms and conditions as Tucker is. He's just a guy on Twitter voicing his opinion. Elon Musk came out and said that Tucker is not being paid anything. There is no contract. There is no agreement. And so consequently, Vox News doesn't really have a case against him. He's not violating his contract because he's just a guy talking. He's not under contract. He's not receiving money for this. He's just doing what he's doing. Now, what happened was, and this is the really interesting part, the first show that dropped on Twitter garnered over 110 million views, 110 million views, which absolutely crushes the established institutions. This is a guy with a Twitter account, and it has this impact. So what I'm uh, thinking we should look toward is We need to come to grips with the fact that the dissemination of information and the gathering of information 20 years from now is going to be very, very, very different. 
when the way it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 50 years ago. So just as, just as television that came online after the Second World War was a disruptor of the old forms of news gathering and news dissemination, so cable was a disruptor. And now an internet intervention like this by Tucker is going to be truly disruptive. And this, I think, is the case whether you like what Tucker is saying or not. I think, this, I think anybody who loves free speech and who doesn't like the idea of gatekeepers throttling and controlling what people say, anybody in that position should rejoice at this workaround that Tucker has found. This really is a new media order. Always will be God. Continuing on with episode 284 of the podcast, as we continue our, our study of sins named in the New Testament, a study we are calling hamartiology, we now come to a very interesting sin. We might call it the sin of going off script. Our word this round is heterodidascaleo, heterodidascaleo, a hetero meaning other and didascaleo referring to teaching. It's mentioned twice in the New Testament, both times in 1 Timothy. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, that they not be guilty of heterodidascaleo. Don't go off script. In 1 Timothy 6.3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So if any man teach otherwise, there it is. So the gospel preaching that the first generation Christians received was a divine template and it was a divine template that they were supposed to hold up to everyone who came to them in the second round, third round, and fourth round. This is why Paul told the Galatians that if he or an angel from heaven preached the gospel other than what they had first received, then anathema on that preacher, then, then may God damn that preacher. Because the, the message as it first came was the template. And that's why Paul can tell Timothy, don't let anybody teach any other doctrine. You want, to, you want everybody involved in the work to stay on point. God don't never change. He's God. So, uh, my book review this time around, in this, uh, this time around, referring to the podcast episode 284, is uh, a book that I referenced last week in my uh, opening comments. Uh, the book is I See Satan Fall Like Lightning by Rene Girard. Now, I read uh, a stack of Gerard's books some years ago now. What happened was there's a, there's a gent in our community who was, is a real follower of Gerard, really under, uh, understood, uh, understands and follows his uh, teaching, a, a Gerard groupie. And, uh, and years ago, in a separate setup, I was talking to a friend about a situation I was facing that was inexplicable to me. And he said, oh, you need to read The Scapegoat by Rene Girard, which I got and did. And that book it had a great deal of explanatory power. Well, uh, one, this other gent, this guy who was a big follower of Girard, visited our church once because his son had begun coming to our church, and, and this man wanted to find out if it was a healthy church or not. And he was, uh, he'd come a few weeks, and I think it was one Easter Sunday. He had, was about ready to be done with his scoping it out. When in an Easter sermon, I went on a 
sort of a, you might say, a Girardian tear in part of the sermon. And, and he thought, well, hello, what's it, you know, what's all this? What's all this? And so he made an appointment with me and we developed a friendship, but he became, he brought in a stack of uh, books by Gerard, most of which I read. And uh, so Gerard has become very influential in my thinking. One of those books was, I don't know if he gave it to me or I bought this one, but it's, I see Satan fall like lightning. Now, Gerard came to these insights as a literary critic. I think his first book was Deceit, Desire, and the Novel. And when he saw the mechanism of mimetic rivalry that is sort of the linchpin of all of his thinking, his sociological thinking, that led him to Christianity. He became sort of his own eclectic sort of Roman Catholic. He's a Frenchman. He uh, came over to the States, I think. I think he taught at Stanford. But, and then wrote a stack of these books. Now, I See Satan Fall Like Lightning is a, a marvelous introduction to his thinking on these things. And when, when you read him, and, and because he's an eclectic Roman Catholic, there are places where you have to, ah, oh, careful there, Rene. You, uh, you can't go with him fully into pacifism. You can't go with him into a rejection of the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ on the cross where God is accepting the death of Jesus as a true sacrifice. He, uh, Gerard believes that Christ was the victim of mimetic envy and rivalry, and he was killed, and he believes the cross is central to our proclamation. But he doesn't believe that God was receiving it as a sacrifice, which is uh, a deal-breaker for evangelical Christians. And his, um, his understanding of inerrancy would be dodgy. At the same time, he sees things in the text that once you see, once he says, look there in the text, and you look at it, and you see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, mimetic rivalry is, mimetic strife, quarreling, rivalry is the great explainer of human history. And if you're interested in following up on Gerard and learning something about him, and you've not read anything by him, I, I think that this is a book, a good book to uh, start with. I see Satan fall like lightning. So, for example, he uh, here's this is just one example from the from the book. He makes a great deal out of the first stone. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And he tells the story from Athenian history, where the Athenians were afflicted with a great plague, and they called a wise man, and the wise man saw, apparently identified, that this was not a, what you might call a bacterial infection with real germs involved, but saw rather, rather that it was a societal contagion, that the people were, that it had to do with um, people watching one another. And this teacher, this guru that they brought in, picked this uh, poor homeless guy and said, this guy is a demon. This guy's the source of all your troubles, and I want you to pick up, uh, you need to stone him. You need to stone him to death. And the, the Athenians were reluctant to do so, even though, incidentally, on a, on a side, the Athenians used to keep a stable of such people called pharmacoi for just such a purpose. So it was not entirely unknown. But these Athenians were reluctant to do it. But this teacher, this guru, urged them on until finally someone 
threw the first stone, and that broke the dam. And then everybody pelted him with stones, uh, killing him. And uh, and then that solved the plague. That resolved the that resolved the plague. This is why societies have human sacrifices. This is why, over time, they substitute animal sacrifices uh, for the human sacrifices, and why even later they substitute athletic athletic competitions for the animal sacrifices. It's all a means of crowd control. Because, as I, th- I believe I said in the other segment, a lot of people together is like a lot of water vapor in the sky. It builds, it builds into a thunderhead. The electrical charge has to go somewhere. And in Aristotle's terms, it would be a cathartic release. And that cathartic release oftentimes vents on a designated victim, that designated victim. And, and what Gerard insists on is that this is the way of the world, and Christianity is utterly unique in that it historically, through the, through the Old Testament and in the Gospels, the, the Christian faith takes the side of the victim. Uh, so, and, and this is the import of the gospel and gospel preaching. To the end of the world, the Christian message is a message of how a victim was railroaded by all the respectable authorities and murdered by them. That's the, that's the Christian story. And this means that Christians will always view what we might call respected authority with a hermeneutic of suspicion. We are dubious of their intentions, and Gerard would argue, rightly so. It's good and proper and right that we are suspicious of their intentions, because they, like Caiaphas, are willing to say it is fitting that one man should die instead of the whole country. And if the, if the guy is actually guilty, so much the better. But if we can avert a crisis by killing an innocent man, let us do that. Now, Caiaphas is the one who was behind the engineered trial of Jesus. But you have to understand, Jesus understands this mechanism very well, as Gerard points out. When Jesus says that you are the sons of the prophets, your fathers killed the prophets, and you build tombs to the prophets, thus testifying that you are, the, are descended from the ones who killed them. Uh, instead of, build, when you build a mausoleum for a dead prophet, you're not putting distance between yourself and the ones who killed him. You are establishing, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you're descended from the ones who killed him. And that's a very interesting take that Jesus has, which means that uh, had Jesus not wrecked everything by coming back from the dead, their plan, their plan was running perfectly. Uh, had, if Jesus had not wrecked everything by coming back from the dead, then I have no doubt that Caiaphas was the kind of man who 15 years later could have made the motion to erect a memorial to the prophet who so lately walked among us, honoring the memory of the one that they'd taken out of the way. So, in our family, we have a saying, a byword, when we see some sort of thrown elbow or envious striving or carping or snapping, our, our family saying is, it's all in Gerard, man. So if you, want, if you want an introduction to what that phrase means, it's all in Gerard, man. I would recommend starting with, I see Satan fall like lightning. Mm-hmm.